Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. I haven't had enough coffee today, but I'm here. Well, (laughs) well, that's good. There's Janet. Hi, Janet. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. How are you? I've got mosquito bites, but other than that, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we wanted this week, um, I guess we uh, got a question and uh, basically along the the gist of, you know, we're having this conversation. We're about 10 episodes in and talking about animism, how it impacts our lives, what it means, what it is, what it isn't. Um, and we've recently had the question of why, why is, why does it matter? You know, why engage in the relationship? What are the benefits, you know, to us and to anything else that we're in relationship with? Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit, Kelly, about kind of the context of the question and we can attempt to tackle it. Mosquito bites and lack of caffeine and all. (laughs) Well, I guess in a manner of speaking, we've kind of talked about all these components of animism as it relates to us and loosely from an academic standpoint. But the question came up over the last week of, you know, how is it beneficial? Like who exactly is uh, benefiting from humans holding an animistic perspective and how, you know, how do you hold that perspective in such a way that it's beneficial and who is included in that benefit. So it, it seemed like that would be a good place for us to go. And I, I think there's probably infinite answers to that question and they would be unique yeah. to each of us. Mm-hmm. I like it. So who wants to tackle it first in terms of maybe how we see, how we, how we experience the personal benefit, I guess we can kind of start at the immediate part of that sphere. I think, um, I think it's, it becomes cerebral for us in a way. And, and, and I mean, for me also, even though this has been part of my path for like two plus decades it's still something that I catch myself making it be a cerebral exercise when if we were able um, to look back at how humans would have first experienced what we call animism first of all I don't think they would have realized they were experiencing anything it was just life it was a seamless observation and experience of being connected to everything that was around you. And I think that's hard for us to comprehend because we're having to learn it or or relearn it. We had a taste of that as children. And even that would have been something different than what early humans experienced. But I think that for us, it becomes an exercise. It at least starts off as an exercise, and it's something that we have to make an effort to have. And so that makes it a little bit more challenging. 
and we encounter it under this umbrella of spirituality when maybe even that's not the right way to cast it either because it it would have been just the way we are it would have been what we're wired for this observation and experience of not being separate from anything so kind of having said that that's that's kind of my goal that's my personal goal with holding an animistic perspective and being able to engage with everything that's around me the benefit within that I think you could break it down by category mm-hmm. what's the biggest category for you that there's benefit for me personally um under the umbrella of shamanism I feel like animus comes first in my identity at least in terms of how I experience being on the planet and for me that means that as I engage in relationship with the network around me that network becomes me I become it and in modern shamanism there's this idea that the shaman you know is the mover and shaker and and they are kind of to some degree, but the reason they're successful at it is because they have a rooted, um, as fully as possible explored network of allies in nature and in the space around them. Some of it is maybe guides in other realms, other strata, but the reason they're able to do what they do successfully is because they root it into the animistic community that they live among and that community stands with them in the work that they're doing so for me that's the most immediate place that I feel the benefit I like that I do too my um relationship with animism and it's barely two years old if that so let's call it a year and a half old um I find that it helps me to look at what is surrounding me as my neighbors, my non-human neighbors. And for right now, I have to put that title on them to remind myself that yes, we are connected also. It's just this neighbor has green leaves instead of two legs, or this neighbor you know, is a stone and weighs 35 pounds. Um, and that has really helped me. It has really put a different perspective, helped me look at it through a different lens. Uh, Because to me, the word neighbor means you're being neighborly. You know, you're connecting with, you're helping each other out. And to me, that's um, one of the basic tenets of animism is helping each other out. The thing that I also find fascinating in my relationship with animism is when I'm looking at my non-human neighbors, it helps me to look at my human neighbors in a different light. And there was a time when I would have said that light would have been all warm fuzzies, but now I'm learning, this is my personal experience, my personal journey, is that um, a part of that is holding my human neighbors, so to speak, accountable for actions in a loving and respectful way. So for me right now, it's a big mix of what's going into the pot of animism of my um, personal experience. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot in it for me too. Uh, I think personally, for me, having an understanding that everything around me 
um, also has agency, is also its own entity. I think there's something both freeing about it and unifying about it in that um, I think when I was a kid, it, it allowed me to be less alone and allowed me to be connected um, to things other than people in ways that made me feel safer when people weren't always. And I think that now it allows me, it allows me that as well, that there's, that there's always connection. I can be in an empty, you know, a quote, empty room. The room's still full of so many things, so many dynamics. And I think, um, I think the idea of everything having agency, having its own entity, essence, soul, whatever, also checks my ego a bit in a way that allows me to hopefully be a little less harmful, take myself a little less seriously in ways that I'll, I think allow humans to feel somewhat elitist and entitled. And if I'm not necessarily inherently worth more or uh, if I don't inherently have more soul or more you know, essence than the chair in, that I'm looking at right now, then... Um, you know, maybe I don't sit on such a high horse or, you know, um, you know, maybe I just do less d damage, less stomping around, less wasting, less destroying, less. Um, and and when, when I'm able to see people around me that way as well, um, I think that's impactful for me, too. And I think as a therapist, I, I mean, and just as a, as a person, you know, I feel like it even enters the the discussion about feelings and emotions, if those are themselves their own entities, then I can respect them and honor them and witness them while also understanding that they are not inherently me. They are their own entities. They're, they have their own agency. They have their own purpose. And sometimes I feel like that allows people who have a hard time judging their feelings or allowing themselves to feel their feelings, if they're able to understand them as their own thing in their own right, that have their own purpose and they're just simply existing, I feel like it allows us to have a bit more understanding of ourselves as beings separate from emotion, but also intertwined with emotion um, I, I feel like it's a huge part of what comes into conversations that conversations that I have with clients about, you know, how do you engage the thing that's in your body right now, this sadness, how do you honor it and look at it and give it a voice because it's chosen to sit in you for right now, but also not lose yourself in it because it is its own thing. And the fact that it colors things doesn't mean that it changes reality in these other ways it just allows me to talk to people about how they feel in a really unique way and I think it allows me to make sense of how I feel and how I see things in a in a much more interconnected way that somehow also allows me to be my own person and my own sort of responsible citizen in the world if that makes sense yeah I love that I, I mean all of that, everything you just said. But I think what you said as far as, you know, how does being an animist benefit, it comes down to being a responsible citizen and being able to let the definition of whatever responsible citizen means be held as loosely as it needs to be for each system, each network that you're moving through, literally, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I think ecosystem inclusivity equals responsibility. And the more that we become attuned to that inclusivity of all people, human people, rock people, air people, the more likely we are going to show up in ways that benefit the entire system. Absolutely. Agreed. Yes. And I I think that also kind of ties into the sort of, if you look at it from the other direction, how does, um, you know, the planet, the non-human, you know, how do all the non-humans of all types um, and the system within within which we're all existing and living and having our agency, um, how do all of those entities benefit from us engaging in animistic ways and being aware of animism. Exactly. They, you know, we are consuming like, you know, whether we choose to have a perspective around animism or we choose to just collide blindly, you know, through life, um, we are part of their network and we can either be on board, we can be online with that network, or we're not, in which case we're a drain on their efforts, on their resources. So mm-hmm. absolutely, I think flipping that around is completely on point. The benefit isn't all ours. Mm-hmm. Have you ever considered the body animist or the animist body? So if we talk about animism as a whole, as a body all into itself, it's like there's a Kelly cell and there's a, a brain oh, yeah. cell and a Janet cell and that we all work together, yet we all have our own individuality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every cell has its own calling and mm-hmm. we function as a collective from day one, from, from before day one. And the more that we are on board with that collective, we, I mean, I've never thought of myself as an individual. And a lot of people think that I'm just batshit because of that. But the more that I come into tune with how I function as a collective, the better my life gets. Absolutely. And I, I think um, what you were saying, Janet, too, like that, that overall body that it contains all of these um, entities, like for me, that um that's sort of why source makes sense to me as that all-encompassing um you know some people say god or higher power or like this bigger thing and i for me that's what i think of as source is like that uh you know wherever all of this comes from um i think of it as source as sort of like that bigger you know body of sorts and i think too when you look at it from this inverse perspective of like you know, how do, you know, if we are animists, how do we benefit everything around us? I think it's impossible. And sometimes I feel like every single episode, we end up coming around to um, concepts around environmental and being environmentalists, um, or, you know, being aware of, I mean, it inherently makes you more aware of and feel more responsible for the world around you. Um it's almost, I've found that it's interesting how impossible it is to have even one of these episodes not mention our impact on the environment. Like it's, it's just practically impossible to engage in an animistic relationship and not pay attention to our impact on the planet we're currently living on. Right. And that impact on the planet also impacts us. So we're taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. at the same time, not in a selfish way, but in a very um, giving way. Right. It's all kind of intertwined and it, it's not 
you know, it's not that the point of being an animist is to, you know, you know, ultimately recycle and do everything perfectly. And that we've, you know, it's a part of it. Um, but there's also this deeper understanding of it, of that, you know, it's not just about um, whether we're hurting, you know, these animals that we feel empathy and we tend to anthropomorphize, um, but that also like the things we discard carelessly were themselves once, you know, those entities and are still entities. And sometimes just being careless with the things that we've chosen to purchase and quote own, um, I feel like it deepens that that whole conversation as well in, in terms of not just like, how are we not gonna pollute and how are we not going to like wreck the oceans, but also how, do, how can we thoughtfully become the caretaker for an item and then be thoughtful in discarding it. Even if, you know, if we're gonna discard it, how do we do it thoughtfully? How do we do it in a way that has responsible levels of impact and, and that kind of thing? I feel like it deepens that beyond just reduce, reuse, recycle, the, you know, those kind of conversations. It's not just about baby seals, it's also about the trash and the, you know, all of it. When you were thinking about this, does it kind of blow your mind away sometimes? When you're thinking of the impact and what everything is? It blows my mind every time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the point is like we're, and that's what I mean too about uh, how it kind of, I feel like it is an opportunity to balance the ego because we are not really hot, hot shit if you put us in this context of like, where we are, the planet we're on, where, what it's floating through, like how it got here, all of it. And, and that, and then, you know, the multitudes we contain also, what's that saying? Like we contain, we contain multitudes. Like we have a million things living on us and in us as well. Um, and there's so much ego if you choose to only look at this, like as the whole, as being like the human body to not look at all the things that we contain within us that deserve respect as well. And all the things that, that are outside of us that just because they aren't us and don't look like us, you know, they deserve that respect as well. That's why in many um, occasions I use the word multiverse and not universe because multiverse includes that unseen not just the science yeah. that we haven't discovered yet but it includes dimensionality it includes the collective nature of the individual mm -hmm. and for me that is it is at least a more inclusive term than universe which we kind of have an agreement on what that word means yeah i like that multiverse kind of allows for what we still don't even know it means too mm -hmm. I mean, just it, it, it inherently allows for what we're still learning and might never know and what we're not, what we aren't even able to perceive. And I find that animism in general allows me the ability to not know everything, um, simply accept that I don't know everything and that that's not my job, but to engage in a deeper relationship of the things I do know and appreciate the things that I come in contact with in a different way and allows, so it allows for more meaning. It allows for less sort of loneliness. It allows me to be an entity 
but also deeply connected to everything around me. And I think it allows me um, a really good ego check. And I think humans with those things and, and the other benefits that we've talked about that you two have mentioned too, like humans walking around with those balancing aspects of self and sense of the world around them are just inherently more likely to do less harm. I have to admit, I'm pretty amused that science is beginning to provide proof of these networks. Yeah. 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 There is a video about trees and how they help each other and, and the root supports. And when one tree dies, it gives its nutrients to the surrounding trees so that they can survive. Or they steal it from each other, depending right. on what their needs are, depending on how the season has gone. Yeah. There is a whole world or worlds of life happening how are we not all benefited by being a participant in that an active participant in that well we'd have to put other things down Mm -hmm. to to I mean I think that's the big thing I mean it's it's interesting you know I I think of people who um, you know, say things like, oh, I like animals more than people, kind of othering themselves in this weird way. And um, I think of people who have judged me for or who probably, you know, may have laughed extra hard when I talked about talking to trees when I was a kid in a previous episode, like, who, like, there's all this othering. And the thing is, if we, if we become more and more aware of how interconnected we are, and how much agency and and um, true awareness that everything has around us, like we'd have to put some of that down. And I, I think that's really scary. I think change is inherently scary. And I think it's, you know, probably at the basis of a lot of that. Well, you know, we talked about how in the hierarchy component of animism, there is no placement of value. What that really means is there's no distribution of power, or I should say there isn't an imbalanced distribution of power. And from a human perspective, we don't function well with that. We, we really want to believe that there is a power that we can gain more, that we should gain more, and that some of us have certain rights to power more than others. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're really invested in animism and how it benefits all the way around, you have to put that power dynamic down. There can't mm-hmm. be othering. There can't be racism and misogyny. It doesn't, no, those things don't fit. Right. Right. And it, it's, um, oh, I just lost it. Go ahead, Janet. <laughs> That's okay. Let's put it back on Kelly. Um, I was just so um, agreeing with what she was saying. And I was also entranced by, Um, Kelly, when you use the words around, um, how that helps me personally, um, look at everything that's around instead of in a hierarchical order of up and down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think too, um, it's, you know, everybody wants to talk about this ultimate goal of like world peace and, you know, a planet where children don't go hungry and people have what they need and everybody does their part and everything. But the reality is that there's a huge portion of the people who lean really hard on that very like fantasy sort of future that are sitting in a place where 
they don't want to put their excess down because the balancing is the, that, that balance or that level of like everybody having what they need means that people who have more than what they need and they have excessive privilege and advantage will need to lessen that. And that, um, and they are the people in the most power to prevent that from being lessened. Um, so they participate uh, knowingly and unknowingly in, in oppressive practices that prevent that sort of balancing. Right. And I think that's at the heart of why we don't achieve these, uh, these crazy, I think also creating a goal like world peace creates um, something to aim for that seems so far away that not working very hard on it seems justified yes. too. Like if, like if we say that the goal is worldwide harmony, oh, well, that's going to happen like a long time from now. So like anything I do, you know, it, we'll, we'll get there eventually. I probably won't see it, but it'll, it'll happen eventually. And it's, that's bullshit. Would it also be giving the illusion that, mm -hmm. um, yes, I want world peace and world harmony. So therefore, because I want it, I'm working on it. In a, in right, illusion. that too. What was that, Brandy? Yeah, I no, totally agreeing with you. Yeah. And um, the reality is, like, when you look at things animistically, um, you know, we're, we're not a species necessarily capable of a utopian society. And sometimes we make good use of, you know, our shadow. I mean, for me, I look at balance and animism allows me to look at the world not in a way of, like, how do we all get to heaven, but how do we find more balance and um, pull more people out of hell while we're here? The hell of our making, the hell of what the hell we make for other people. Um, just how do we create balance? And that's like with interpersonal, um, how can we not turn our planet into a living overheated hell? How, you know, um, how do we make the space we live in harmonious, balanced? Um, there are more realistic goals available when I look at the world in an animistic way. And that makes me feel a little bit hopeful about having actual impact toward realistic change while I'm here. I think world peace can start by not killing the spider in your shower and by not picking the flowers in your yard simply because you think they're pretty and you want to bring them in the house. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are some pretty knee-jerk reactions that all of us have. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I think you can just not do those things without assuming that it's eventually going to create world peace. Maybe you can just not be an asshole. <laughs> exactly. To other people. I mean, yes. really. Right. To other people, to the things you choose to consume, buy, own, um, the, the land you choose to, to live on, um, the kids you bring into the world, the, you know, whatever, your neighbors, all of it. Um, animism allows that relationship to just exist right now and be available to be adjusted and held thoughtfully and to evolve right now, not with some um, post-death goal or, you know, do you, is that making sense? I don't know. It makes sense to me, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was I feel like that went down <laughs> that went down a rabbit hole. 
I didn't expect, but I like it. I liked it too. I did too. Rabbit holes can yeah. be fun. Yeah. They get maligned so, sometimes. So hopefully, hopefully this answers uh, that question of kind of why animism and I get, and you know, it's the answer for us. So this is, you know, yeah. the three of us with our perspective and our life experiences, this is the benefit that we see from our lens. Um, if you have a different one, if you're listening and you have a different one, love to hear it. Would love to share it. You can um, download the uh, Anchor app and call into the station. You can, we've got a, a question form on our website. Um, you can submit questions. Oh, and also, should we mention mm-hmm. um, that we'd like to do a Q&A episode next week? So um, if you have questions, we'll all be posting um, on social media, asking for your questions. There is on our website, it's everydayanimism.tumblr.com. There is a button that says, ask us anything. You can post your question anonymously. You don't have to have a Tumblr account. Um, I've, I've, it's open for anybody to send any sort of message or question. So feel free to use that too. And we're going to kind of sift through them. Um, and we'll pick some to answer next week. We thought that would be a fun thing to do. I'm sure we've generated at least a few questions from people who are listening and we've, we've got a decent handful of listeners now. So I thought it, thought it would be a good time to open it up. So thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great week. Uh, Hit us up somewhere on the interwebs with your questions and we'll see you at our next one. Take care. Bye. Take good care. See y'all next week. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.